The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Along uh, with a cane, I've been... Uh struggling with allergies, and I apologize if I'm all hacking and coughing this morning. I try to get through without too much interruption. I, I just caught out of the corner of my eye that one of our little ones got loose. I think it's hilarious. Jealous that I can't run like that any longer. Regardless if I get a new knee or not, uh, you know, I still won't be able to run like Rhonda kind of chasing me down. Um, but it just reminded me of how, you know, the Spirit and the Lord, it's, uh, that John, we're going to read, is in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And how important it us, is for us to not domesticate the Holy Spirit, but to have Him open. He, he just may want to run wild through your life this morning, so... Be prepared. Be prepared. I gave this uh, little warning down at St. James about a sermon from Revelation. I'll say it with uh, all candor and, and compassion. I'm well aware that whenever you do anything in the book of Revelation, some people have the tendency to stop listening to the sermon and want to do a study out of the book of Revelation while the sermon's going on. And I'm here to tell you that you are to listen to me this morning uh, who is preaching the sermon that God wants you to hear. And if you want to study the book of Revelation, please do, just not in the next 20 or 30 minutes. But pay careful attention. To what the Holy Spirit, through the blessed word of God, would say to us. In the first chapter, beginning in verse number 9, and I'll read to the end of the chapter, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the isle that was called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and unto Sardis and Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. 
And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars of the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches, the word of the Lord. And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The text would suggest that this sermon should be preached on Ascension Thursday, or perhaps as part of a series of sermons covering the theology of Jesus Christ. So why am I taking us to Revelation 1 on the first Sunday after Easter? Well, the idea for the series of Easter sermons that will be preached is for us to live for the light. Live for the light. In Epiphany, we challenged you to look at the light. and Lent, we challenged you to long for the light. And now that the light is shining in all of its fullness and glory in the resurrected Lord, we want you to live for Him. Live for the light. And I realize in an age of massive distrust, much of which the church has brought on itself, people do not trust institutions, the church being one of them, that what we must do as a church seeking to be faithful is to put the unvarnished glory of the light of the Lord Jesus Christ front and center. The unvarnished glory of the light of Jesus Christ. The church must return and with conviction proclaim Jesus to be trustworthy because as John wrote, he is the faithful witness. He is the first begotten of the dead. He is the prince of the kings of the earth. And he is the one he claims to be when he says to John in verse number 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. The title of this particular sermon, which will not be changed, Who Has the Keys? It's important to ask because as a question, it implies trust. Keys as a sign of authority. 
when I attended school, and I caught myself earlier and when I preached, I said, when as a student, I, and I well, that's not right. Rarely was I actually a student. I was, though, attending school. Uh, we would, you know, clear up our misbehavings when the headmaster arrived, and we knew he was arriving because he had this big set of keys hanging from a chain down by his knee, and you can hear him down the tile hallway in plenty of time to act like you were there for the right reasons. The authority was arriving. And we all know the distress of uh, being late for something and not being able to find our what? <laughs> Keys. And who has them last? <laughs> it's usually the one who's late for the appointment. Where are the keys? Who has the keys? So it's a question that implies trust because you want the one who has the keys to be trustworthy. A seminary professor said to his students, to be always relevant, we must speak eternal things. To be always relevant, we must speak eternal things. I double-checked that quote because I read it originally as the professor saying we must speak about eternal things. But that's not what he said. Instead, he said to his seminary students, to be relevant, we must speak eternal things. And this morning as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, I speak eternal things. I don't just speak about them. I speak them. So when I pose the question, who has the keys, I want you to know that I'm not talking about the car keys. I'm not talking about the key to the front door. The eternal thing I speak is that the crucified, risen, ascended, and exalted Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is coming to judge the living and the dead, has sole possession of the keys to hell and to death. And because that is eternally true, he can be trusted. He can be trusted. With God being our helper, I challenge us to live for the light because we are living for the one who can be trusted. The one who has the keys to hell and death. This also ties into uh, the past number of sermons and my stated purpose during Holy Week and Easter to bring a better understanding of what it means to say that Christ has won victory over sin and death. To have the keys is to have the authority. And to get the full picture, we need to say that not only has Jesus won ultimate victory through his death and resurrection, but he holds that victory for all eternity, because he holds the authority 
which is symbolized by the image of a key. The authority will never be relinquished. The victory never overturned. We have to, at the church, speak these things. So the writing assignment that the Holy Spirit gives to John is to reveal then the one who holds sole possession of the keys over sin and death. Let me read it for you again as it unfolds in verses 10 through verse number 13. Again, just to remind you, John is in exile. He is on the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He is, on the, he is in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He hears behind him a great voice, like a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and Laodicea. John then turns to see the voice that spake with him, and being turned, he saw seven golden candlesticks. In the midst of the candles, seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Now, we know who John is. We have some idea of who the Holy Spirit is. And we have, on occasion, an idea of what it means to be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And if we read, as we did to the last verse of the first chapter, we find out that the seven candlesticks are seven churches. But who is the Son of Man? Who is the Son of Man that is in the midst of the candlesticks? It'll be helpful for us to spend a few moments on this. And so I want you to uh, go back into the Old Testament, the big book Ezekiel, one book further down, Daniel chapter number 7. So in other words, if you can find Ezekiel, you can find Daniel. And uh, they're just next door neighbors. Ezekiel has a really big house. Uh, Daniel, not so much. Um, and uh, chapter 7, um, you know, with the new math, it's good to know that 7 still comes after 6. Because I'm not always sure with the new math what's going on. Uh, so 7 and verse number 13 which still comes after verse 12. Listen, as Daniel, uh, also who has this vision, um, in verse number 13, he sees in the night visions. And behold, who does he see? One like, what does it say? The Son of Man. One, like the Son of Man, came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. It sounds a lot like the word permanence is attached to the work of the Son of Man, the one that Daniel saw and the one that John saw in the midst 
of the candlesticks. So to say that we speak eternal things is to say that the Son of Man in Daniel's vision is the same Son of Man in John's vision. His name is Jesus. But it's interesting that John puts the title Son of Man into the vocabulary of the church. So that when we think or speak about Jesus, we need to remember that we are not just talking about somebody you know, who went around, did some nice things for people who needed nice things to be done for them. We speak eternal things. This means that Jesus, the Son of Man who John in Revelation tells us is in our midst, the one who has sole possession of the keys to hell and death, is trustworthy. He is the one that Daniel saw. He is the one that John writes about. He is the one we can trust. So with God being our helper, I challenge us to live for the light. And with God being our helper, I challenge us to not disregard the light that is shining in our midst. And it is not at all a problem, right, when we're maybe in church to disregard Jesus, right? No, that's not right. The church meeting is one of the great battlegrounds for the work of the Spirit to be unleashed and run wild into our lives. Don't disregard the work of the Spirit. If we're here, let us be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and take up the challenge to not disregard the light that is shining in our midst and in a day of distrust, in a day when truth is lying dead in the streets, we as God's people have to take this challenge seriously and not disregard truth. You know, it should be noted, and we didn't read on in Daniel, but it should be noted that when Daniel sees his vision... He tells us that he is grieved in spirit and body. And when John has his vision, he is filled with fear. And those are important things to remember, but there's another vision of the Son of Man that I believe it would be important for us to take a few moments with. It happens after Daniel, and it happens before John's vision in the Revelation. It's in Acts chapter number 7, and so uh, if you can find your way to Acts chapter number 7, that would be good. And this time, we are introduced to the deacon Stephen. The deacon Stephen. And Stephen finds himself preaching truth to power concerning Jesus, he speaks truth to the religious establishment. And uh, as he does, we're told that the religious establishment begin to afflict abuse on him. Verse 54 of Acts 7, they hear these things, they're cut to the quick, they gnash on him 
with their teeth. But look at the response of Stephen. But being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He then says, Behold, I see the heavens open. And who does he see standing there? The Son of Man. And where is the Son of Man standing? On the right hand of God. Now, unlike Daniel and unlike John, Stephen has a different response. For when, they, when the, uh, the religious leaders hear this, they cry out with a loud voice, they stop their ears, they run upon him with one accord, they take him, they cast him out of the city, and they begin to stone him. He is lying in the midst of God's enemies, and they are picking up rocks, and they are pelting him with rocks, large rocks, and um, he's lying there. We're told that they take his clothes and they put them at the young man's feet, whose name is Saul. And they stone Stephen. And here's Stephen's response. As he now calls upon the God that he saw, he says to the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man, receive my spirit. He kneels down. He cries with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he said this, and you just got to love the way Luke says it, he fell asleep. Psalm 16, in your presence, fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures evermore thinking about the ravens that fed Elijah. Ravens have never impressed me as birds that like to share. And yet, they don't just share. They are the first, right, Uber service. The first, you know, whatever those things are. Not Uber. What's the thing like? Huh? DoorDash. They're the first DoorDash service. There they go, flying, bringing food to Elijah. Servant of God. John exiled on Patmos. Our God in Christ, the Son of Man, is to be trusted. He is to be trusted. He, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, saw the glory of God. Jesus standing at the right hand of God, behold, I see the heavens open, and there the Son of Man standing. On the right hand of God. The same Son of Man, Daniel, envisioned that Stephen saw that John writes about in Revelation is shown to us again in Revelation. The revelation of Jesus, this time chapter number 14. Chapter number 14. But this time, the Son of Man is not seen at the right hand of the Father. He is not seen standing in the midst of the church. Here in Revelation 14, the Son of Man is speaking a word of judgment. He is on a white cloud 
his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. Verse four, Revelation 14, verse 14, and I looked, John says, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sword. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time is to come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The day of judgment envisioned a time coming when the one who holds the keys of hell and death will require an answer from the people he is coming to judge. Remember the quote I started with, to be always relevant, we must speak eternal things. Perhaps nothing is more relevant at this particular time in our nation's history, in our state's history, in our county's history, in our local towns and villages' histories, and in your history, this church's history, than to be reminded of the coming of judgment of God in Christ. We speak eternal things when we say that the Son of Man is coming on the clouds with a sickle which he will thrust and begin to reap a harvest. His judgment will be poured out. Just as Elijah announced judgment to Ahab. And just as we know, judgment will come to this earth. In a time when the church appears to be fine, with being defined and shaped by the world around it. I'm reminded of a quote from my youth. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And churches all around us are faltering. Wanting to be relevant not by speaking eternal things, but pandering to the voice of the crowd for the sake of their budget and buildings and butts in the seat. They give up the glory of God in Christ. Oh, let us listen carefully to not let the world squeeze us into its mold and the way we avoid being shaped by the world is to be shaped instead by eternal things. To say without equivocation that the one who holds the keys is the one who has authority over every area of life. For the one who holds all authority is the one who reached down with the hand that was pierced and assured John by saying, Fear not, I am the first, I am the last, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Friends, we speak eternal things. This means that the one who is coming to judge is worthy of our trust, for he is true and faithful. He is true 
and faithful. So with God being our helper, I challenge us to ask, are we ready for the day of his judgment? Are you ready for the day of his judgment? Here we are in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The Son of Man, the one who holds the keys, has brought us together. He is in our midst. Just as he was with the church on the very first day, the evening of his resurrection, when he entered the room and pronounced the blessing of peace on them, the Lord Jesus pronounces his blessing of peace on us as well. And we need this blessing. Because like Elijah and Daniel and John, like Stephen who was martyred, we face an increase of hostility. We face an increase of opposition against the church. But greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And it is because God has taken the initiative for us that we live then in the light of the victory he has won for his people. With God then being our helper, I call on us as a church to behold the unvarnished glory of the light of Jesus the Son of Man who is in our midst. So only one question remains. Have you responded by faith to this gracious invitation of God? Are you forsaking your sin? Are you trusting your life into the care of Jesus? Are you ready for the coming day when God himself will bring judgment to this world? And if not, then you should pray. You should ask God to help you to do that. You should ask God to help you to be ready, to give you the strength to trust the one who holds the keys. If you want to know where your car keys are, when that appointment comes, you'll really want to know the one who has the keys when the day of judgment comes. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. And now as we think on it, we pray about it, as we prepare our hearts to receive the table of our Lord, I ask, O oh God, for your grace to strengthen us and help us to confess whatever sins remain pray that your spirit would run wild through our lives, bringing us to see the unvarnished glory of the risen Christ. You remain in prayer and we'll be preparing the table to eat together in just a few moments. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.